Once again, our lectionaries this morning, our lectionary readings have given us the opportunity to think about the subject of generosity. What radical generosity? You may recall, I'm sure you do, back in May, I preached to you about from the book of Acts because we had a couple of weeks where we looked at that early church and what, the, what their, their, their life was like together. Remember, they held all things in common. Uh, they, they were giving, selling their possessions. Barnabas being this extreme example of radical generosity. And here we are again with another passage that gives us some opportunities to talk about generosity. Now, I'll just tell you, being completely honest with you, this is not the thing that comes most natural for me. Uh, you know that I hail from a part of Georgia known as West Georgia, which is very different from East Georgia or North Georgia or South Georgia or Middle Georgia. We have nothing to do with Middle Georgia. So you guys think Georgians are all united. We're not. We're very divided. I'm from West Georgia. My friend Adam and Mary Diana are here. Good to see you guys. Good to have you back home with us. Adam hails from a part of a very extreme West South Carolina. So he knows a little bit about what I'm talking about. And in our cultural context, you were taught to take care of your own. So that if you had a need, it was your own darn fault. And you needed to suck it up until you made some more money. Generosity doesn't necessarily abound, you know. It's not a problem to see somebody without need because obviously they got themselves into a mess and you're going to take care of yourself. This is something that, that, that's, that's really hard to sort of work out because Scripture commends to us a very different way of life. And so it's not easy for me and I'm sure it's not easy for you. There's a sense in which all Americans sort of feel like that we're, we're self-made men and women, that we, we are responsible for our own selves. I remember, uh, you know, just opportunities where uh, I could have relied upon the people, and, but my own sense of pride would not allow me to. And maybe you can relate. But look at our scriptures this morning. They're, they're, they're very wide in their announcement that we are to emulate as the people of God a graciousness, a generosity of spirit that is pretty uncommon. The, the Old Testament passage, for instance, Deuteronomy 15, uh, Moses giving the law to the people reminds them that if one of their neighbors, one of their own, becomes poor, they're not to turn a blind eye, but they're to meet that need. They're to remember that a righteous person cares for the poor. Now, maybe you, like me, thought that, that Jesus said himself just off the top of his head, you know, the poor you will always have with you, if you know that passage from Luke. But it actually finds its root here back in Deuteronomy 15. So both in Deuteronomy with Moses and Jesus in the Gospels, we see this, this reminder that the poor will always be with us. The, the poor have a purpose in the economy of God. They are to help us as well as us helping them. And so Moses says, if you see someone in need, even if it's the sixth year and you know at the seventh year they're going to have to forgive the debt, you're still to reach out. See, in ancient Israel, um, every seven years, all debts were forgiven. Wouldn't that be amazing? Two of our ladies at the early service had just purchased homes. Imagine, seven years and your house is paid off. Well, that would, be, that would be amazing. But 
It's not true. But in the ancient Israel, it was. And, but the tendency was for the Israelites then to be stingy right near the end of that seven-year period because they knew that they were going to have to forgive the debt. Moses reminds them that God will care for the righteous person. He, he sees the, the opportunity for fear and being afraid in the parts of the people. And so he reminds them that, that the righteous one, the one who cares for the poor, will be cared for himself. That same theme gets echoed in Psalm 12, 112, that we heard David lead us in a little while ago. The righteous man or woman is characterized by generosity towards the poor, towards those who have material need. Can't escape it with Psalm 112. And then we come to the the New Testament lesson, 2 Corinthians that Jamie read to us. And again, here is that command that, that Paul is emphasizing to the church at Corinth that they are to be a radically generous congregation. Now, it's interesting. If you know much about the history of the church at Corinth, they were a big, robust church. They were very, very wealthy. They were also quite stingy, quite self-centered. Now, imagine if I was to stand up here this morning and begin to tell you about a really generous church in Tallahassee, Florida. Yeah, (laughs) your blood would start to boil. Well, Paul was a bishop. This is something a bishop does. This is not something a local pastor does. This is, something you, this is a bomb you drop and then you leave town. You go to the next place. But here's Paul saying, look, there's this church in Macedonia that is really poor. But they have been generous beyond belief towards the needs of their poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. You see, the, the church in Jerusalem was, was under persecution. There was, there was a scarcity of food. There was lots of need in the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul and Barnabas are, are moving around Asia Minor and they're compelling churches to give to the poor brothers and sisters back home in Jerusalem. And he quotes from Moses. He's, you know, back when the, with the, the giving of the manna, when Moses commanded them to, to pick up the manna in the morning, he said, no matter how much you pick up, or how little you pick up, you won't have too much or you won't have too little. God will provide for all of you. And so he quotes that at the end of this Corinthians passage, trying to provoke the church of Corinth to love and good deeds, to care for their brothers who are poor. He quotes, he reminds them of of our Lord Jesus and his words, uh, that, that he who was rich became poor for you, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Well, we can't escape it. Uh, We're we're called to be people of radical generosity. It's something that is a lifelong process. It doesn't come quickly to us. It it works against our natural fear of scarcity, and the Lord knows that. Gordon MacDonald, who's not written in a long time, but he's still a great author, has written about generosity, and this this is the definition he gives for generosity. Generosity is sacrificing something of value to you, of, to, to us, for the good of another person because we love them. And he makes the distinction that we can give things to people out of guilt or out of um, sort of uh, just 
because it's the right thing to do, but McDonald makes the distinction that generosity, the kind of generosity that we're seeing described in the scriptures today is something that comes from a love for people that we sacrifice because we love them. We give something of value. We don't just give them a little, little tip, a, a little gratuitous amount that's, that really cost us very little. You know, we've got enough. Uh, but that we give sacrificially because we love them. We care about them. This is the generosity that we're to have. It's interesting Rodney Stark is a, a historian of the church, and he particularly focuses in on the early church, the very first couple of centuries, right after the apostles have all died. And he notes that it was probably not the evangelism that the early church did that truly impacted the wor- world. In other words, not the words about the gospel they shared, but about their radical generosity. That it was their, their sense of justice and willingness to care for others that turned the world on its head. You've probably heard me say, if you've been around here for a while, but, but it bears repeating that it was the Christians in the second, third centuries that would take the, the unwanted children that were cast outside the city to die in the trash heaps. It was the Christians that would go out to those places and they would take those children into their own homes and they would raise them as their own. It was the Christians that during the plagues in the early cities when they didn't understand sanitation and, and, and so plagues and disease was rampant, it was the Christians that would stay in the cities and minister to the sick and dying. And as a result of their generosity, the world took notice of those who called themselves little Christ. Generosity is a mark of the true church of God. Now, as I said, God realizes that, that, that there is this tendency within us to be fearful uh, of, of not having enough. I was thinking about it this week. Uh, Jody and I, we, we were so poor at one point. We were first married. Um, you know, we, we had, uh, in, in some of these houses, and for some of you, this won't mean, at all, mean anything at all, but in some old houses in Florida, they used to use diesel fuel number two as the heating fuel. Some of you guys remember that? You'd have a tank under your, un, under your house. If you bought an older home, some of you younger guys might, might buy a house that has a, a diesel fuel tank that's been turned, it's been cut off, you know, kind of sealed off. But we had that, and it, it was about $150 to fill that tank. It seems like that back then. This is, the, this is way back before the turn of the century. Way, way back. <laughs> way, way back. You know, um, you know, way back. And, uh, and Jake was a little kid, and I remember there were times where we didn't have money to get our fuel. It would run dry. And we didn't have money... We didn't have $150 to, to refill that tank, you know. And, uh, and in my own pridefulness, I didn't call my mom and dad or my in-laws and say, hey, can we borrow some money? So we just had a little kerosene heater. I know, terrible, right? We were terrible parents. You know, a little kerosene heater that we heated up the, Jake's room, and we kind of sort of got a little bit of side heat from it. And we just threw on extra blankets, and we just we suffered through those times, you know. 
I mean, no, no one wants to go back there, right? You could all tear, share your own stories of, of places where you were in real need. I mean, you were, you were close to financial crisis. And so that, but that, that fear can be such a strong motivator that we, we don't know where to turn it off. I mean, we can all... We can all worry about, you know, will we outlive our money, right? That's the new thing. We're living so much longer. And medical costs are so great. We worry, will we run out of money before the Lord takes us home? Um, will we be a burden to our children or our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, you know? Uh, all these things weigh on us. And yet, hear the promise that the Lord gives that, that he will provide for the righteous person. He will meet our needs. It's just an illusion. The Lord keeps reminding us throughout Scripture that, that, that it is our trust is to be in him, not in our bank account, not in our insurance policy, not in our 401k. And yet, we oftentimes put all our faith, all our trust in those things. How hilarious would it be one week, David, if you were to play a song about all our hope, all our faith, all our trust in our 401k, right? <laughs> but you see how that eliminates generosity. Tim Keller, famous preacher, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian, downtown New York, Manhattan, preaches to all these young, uh, uh, you know, rising stars in the financial industries and the business and corporate and, and all these things. Uh, Keller is in his 60s now. He said, you know, all my years of pastoring, no one has ever come to me and confessed the sin of greediness. He said, none of us thinks we're greedy. And yet Jesus spends so many more of his parables, so many more of his words are focused on the dangers of money the dangers of greed. Are, are we really all exempt from those, even though Jesus exponentially uses more time to talk about those things? Uh, I'm, I'm getting to meddling now, aren't I? And I'm not even a bishop. i got to be here next week. Generosity is something that we all have to continually come face-to-face -face with and say, Lord, am I making progress? Am I moving towards being a person of generous spirit. Keller, again, says, well, you can do it. You can, you can say, you know, it's a matter of will. You know, just take your will and say, you know what? God's going to judge me if I don't give money, so I'm just going to give it. Or you can, you can sort of play on the emotions and say, look at how desperate the need is. Look at the people out there who have so little. I mean, us with no fuel, that, that was, we were rich compared to many people that we see and know about. But we play on the emotions. We can play on the mind. We can say, well, it's a good investment. God will give us back if we give. It's a great place to put your money, the bank of God, and we can make the mind invest. We can, we can turn to the will or the emotions, or we can turn to our mind. But ultimately, Keller says, all those things fall short. That's interesting. The three lessons that were given, the old, new, and the psalm, all 
sort of work on that one theme of generosity. It was just so evident as I read through the scriptures this week. I was like, okay, told David, we're talking about generosity. There's just no way of getting around it. Except the gospel. Isn't it interesting? The gospel passage is not focused on generosity towards the poor. I mean, Jairus is a rich synagogue ruler. He's got power, prestige, success. He's got money. And and the lectionary actually cuts out the verses in the middle that would have focused on this poor woman with the flow of blood. But it takes that passage out and has us just focus on Jairus. And I thought, well, you know, somebody screwed up the lectionary. And then I began to meditate on it a little bit more, and I began to think about, okay, what, Lord, why would Jairus be the center? I mean, he's out of line with these other scriptures. Generosity to the poor, and here's Jairus is rich. But here's, here's the rub. You see, Jairus, though he is rich and successful and powerful and has plenty of money, Jairus comes to Jesus on his knees humbled before Jesus. Because all of those things, power, wealth, success, money, none of those things can do what Jairus needs, which is to heal his child. The reality, guys, is that we all come to Christ. If we come at all, we come to him just like Jairus. Surrendering all the things that we put our faith and trust and security in, and we come kneeling as a beggar, recognizing that Jesus can do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. That ultimately, our, 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 our smartness, our looks, our strength, our money, or our success, or our favor, our influence, they all fall short. To quote Paul again, he who was rich, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, became poor, took on humanity, so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. What if when we walked out of here today and we rode down the street and we saw somebody in a beat-up old car with the windows rolled down because they don't, can't afford to get their air conditioning fixed, four or five, six or eight or ten people in the car because they only got one car, what if instead of looking down with disdain on that family, we used it to remind us of our poverty before our Lord? What if the next time you're along the interstate and you see that guy or that woman that you're suspect, whether there really is in financial need as possible, what if you saw that person not with somebody that you resent, but rather use it to remind yourself of your poverty before God? See, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He didn't just say that as a teacher He said it as one who put his whole life where his mouth was. And he emptied himself. 
And that's what Paul says ultimately will be the motivation for our growth in radical generosity is when we, we really understand all that Christ has done for us. Who are we then to begrudge generosity towards our neighbor? Well, just a couple of ways to think about this. How do we, how do we make progress? I, I, I hate when, when I just leave you with a, a thought and go, what do I do with that? You know, it's like, okay, how do I start? Well, I think we start by recognizing that, that there are ways, even within our own community, that we can be generous with our time, with our money. Uh, we, we are involved in lots of ministries. I can't name them all for you, but you know them. You hear us talk about them. Those are ways of generosity, either money-wise money or, or time-wise. And we all know which one for us is the most valuable, right? Sacrifice for others because we love them. I think secondly, we, we have to take a look and examine and spend more time recognizing the things that, um, that, that prevent us from being generous. Fear, worry. That's true for some. For some, it's control. If you got lots of money in your bank account, you're not really fearful of running out, but maybe you're fearful of losing control. Maybe it's greed. Though Keller says nobody wants to admit it. In all my readings and my thinking about this generosity, and, and, and I, I want you to know, guys, that this is something that I want the Lord to work in me. I want to grow in generosity. One of the things I, I read that I thought was pretty cool, a guy said that he intentionally puts a five, or I think he said a $10 bill in his wallet. But it, for you, it might be $2, or it might be, it might be $100, I don't know. But um, he would put $10 in his wallet, and his intention is that he wants to give that money away. That he's, that he's looking for somebody to be generous towards. I like that thought of, of, of actually being intentional about giving my money away. I heard another person that said that one of the things they do is that they, they look for folks who are broken down, like their car is broken on the side of the road, and they're the person that intentionally takes the time to stop and see if they're okay. I don't recommend that for all of you, but there's a few of you guys that, that would be, you know, in good shape. Leanne, Leanne could do that because I wouldn't be afraid of Leanne. Uh, Leanne no one's going to mess with Leanne. But, 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 you know, but what if, what if that was the case? What if, just kidding. But what if, what if, what if that was the case? What if we, we were intentional in really small ways of looking for the opportunity to be generous? Well, this is going to come around again. This is just one small opportunity to say to it, let's, let's continue to, press into this area of generosity. Take God at His word. He, he cares for us. Ultimately, He's the one we can trust in. Be willing to look at your idols, the things you falsely put hope in, and start small with small acts of generosity. Remembering 
that our Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor. That through his poverty, we might be made rich. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.